0: Unfortunately, sharing the word is never a burden. It's always a blessing. Um, I really have enjoyed today. It's great. It's wonderful to be in a household of faith and to share together. You know, one of the things that we've been doing um, is going through and reading our Bible. And I just wanted to say how encouraged I have been. And I've talked to so many other people who say, I am so encouraged we talk about reading the word. Every Sunday, it seems to come up, and we talk about it. And they said, I know that people are on different plans. Some people are on the Bible Project plan, and other people are on other plans. Some people are on my speedy bus plan, and some people are on the slow bus plan, and Becca, that is perfectly fine. Um, You know, but we have about two dozen people with us, and I did want to say that whether you're on our Bible Project plan, the speedy or the slow, or whether you or reading something else, if you want to be added to our email group, tell me or tell Terry, and we'll be happy to add you to the group. It's somewhat sporadic, but um, I I, I try to think every couple of days I need to send something out just as a marker so people can go, oh yeah, I need to be doing that, because we're humans. And one of the problems that we have is we get really busy with life. And one of the things that has been helpful about the, the men's, Uh, Sunday school class, is the honesty about how easily we get sort of sidetracked, because we have all these other concerns, and we've got two eyes, and and we're seeing all this stuff, and we begin to think that that's really important, and that's where our, our focus, that's where our basis becomes, and we need a chance to come back together, and when we know that people are studying the Mortification of Sin book, or they're studying the Contentment book, then we're doing it together. You know, even if we only talk about it on Sunday, but hopefully, you know, we can uh, share that a little bit more together. I also find it amazing that even though we're all going through and reading the Word, different people see different things in it. God, the Holy Spirit impacts people in different ways, and they'll make a comment about something it's like, I didn't think about that, and Stephanie and I are reading it on the same plan, but separately. And um, But in the evening, we talk about it, and she sees something, I see something, we share it together. We've never really had that. So um, we, we sort of do our thing, right? And um, this has been really exciting. So it's been encouraging, encouraging to know that we love the Word, that there are more people that are going through and reading the Bible than just us, the fact that we are sharing it together, the fact that we see awesome sights. So... I sort of have adopted this this idea of on a tour because it really is like you're going through and you're, you're seeing these activities that are occurring, and they're not just external activities, but they have something to do with you and with your belief. And we then see how what's going on in Leviticus and Deuteronomy then ties into other parts of the Old Testament, and then how it really shows us in the New Testament, we, then we backtrack and we start to see Jesus Christ. And we start talking about how we see Jesus Christ and all this stuff and how what he has done for us becomes larger than what we ever really thought it was because we didn't spend enough time. And And my prayer really is is that we just do this every year. Every year that we just pick the Bible back up together and we go through and we discuss it. And I think that then we'll talk about it more and more as we go through and say, remember this, remember this. So if you're on the Bible Project Reading Plan, you know that today is an auspicious day. Today is the end of Deuteronomy. Isn't that huge? A lot of people i talk talked to said that I've never gotten through Leviticus. But to get through Deuteronomy, this is like really great because now it gets exciting. Now we go into warfare and battles and that's really fun and Joshua... You know, has lots of energy. He's a younger guy and that sort of thing. But we also are at the end of the Torah. And the Torah was written specifically for these Jews pre them going across the the Jordan. And so it's a different kind of thing that we've been looking at. But at the same time, it all works together. It's also been fun for me and for some people that I've talked to. They said that going through and reading the blessings and the cursings. Because you you see these marvelous blessings. You see God say, but if you don't do this, these are the curses that will come upon you. And what I want to say to myself, if I was them, surely I would follow His word. I would follow every command because I wouldn't want the curses, I'd want the blessings. But what happens? They turn, right? And what happens to me? What happens to us? I know where my life is. I know where my health, my salvation is. But at the same time, I turn. And it made me start to think, of course I would follow the narrow path, but then I don't. And just like with, uh, with the rich man in Lazarus, you know, surely if somebody came back from the dead, I would believe him. No. So it, it just keeps showing us who we are. It makes me realize... Magnificent our God is, how gracious and merciful He is, because he knows he 's never disappointed in me because he knows every failure that I have, he knows what i 'm going to do, he knows it 's been covered by Jesus Christ, and that fortunately that christ the value of christ 's blood is infinitely capable of covering all of my sin so as we 've been going through and looking at this, one of the things that has um, I've been reminded about, as I look at the children of Israel, is their propensity to turn to idols. In the women's class, they talked about contentment. We saw Joseph talked about contentment. And in some ways, you can say, I'm going to talk about discontentment for just a minute. But we see in the children of Israel, we see in Deuteronomy how easy it was for them to turn. We see Balak trying to hire Balaam to to curse them, and he, he wasn't able to. God, through him, just kept blessing the children of Israel. But then Balaam then said to on his side, we see in Revelation 2.14, that if you just would bring those attractive young ladies right up next to the camp, those men will be drawn away. They'll be drawn away into immorality. They'll be drawn away into idolatry, and that's exactly what he did. Now, we don't have the same sort of idols, hopefully, But we still have idols because that's just who we are, right? Our idols may not be sitting on a shelf. Our idols may be in the garage. They may be in our jewelry drawer. They may be in our closet. They may be at work. They may be our children sleeping safely in their bedrooms. But we still know that we have this problem with idolatry, that anything that takes our heart away from God is an idol. It, it turns us, it begins to tell us that if you just trust in me, you'll have a better life. And the children of Israel seem to be the same way. They didn't trust in the rock of their salvation. They trusted in what God presents as these little R rocks, little R-O-C-K. These rocks that can do nothing, these rocks that have no power, no authority. And what we see in the children of Israel, we also see in Isaiah 44, sort of a classic section to talk about the foolishness of idolatry. So if you'd like to, we're going to spend most of our time in Isaiah 44. And what we see in Isaiah 44 is the folly of idolatry. And what we can say about idolatry is that idolatry draws us into delusion. From delusion, it brings us into confusion and from confusion into destruction. And I'd like to look at those as a reminder that we are not much like the children of Israel. Isaiah is an incredible book. Isaiah, like Deuteronomy, we sort of see the light and the darkness. We see repentance and salvation. We see blessings and cursings. And we go back and forth. And one of the things that God is always faithful about is saying this is the curse that's going to come upon you, but I will restore you. I will save you. I, in my graciousness, not because you deserve it, but because I love you, I will do this. But please don't turn away from me, because I'm a jealous God. Because I, as that God, deserves to be honored. So in Isaiah 44, we're going to just jump down when we may come back a little bit later to. Uh, earlier verses, but looking in verse 9 through 11, we'll just to save time, just do this section by section. Uh, verse 9, all who fashion idols are nothing, and the things that they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and all the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth, they shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. So what does Isaiah say about those who create the idols, that they are nothing? Well, we, can, we know that idols are nothing, that they have no power, but he says beyond that, that the creators of these idols are nothing, that they're deluded because they are working to create something that has no profit They're deluded because what they're working toward is going to bring shame upon them. They're suffering from delusion. Idolatry starts with delusion because we have to be deluded to to think that doing any of this stuff is going to have some value. That because I have a nice car, that I have value. Because I have a beautiful house, I have nice value. Because I have a lot of kids who are like, I'll perfectly behaved, Then I'm going to have a lot of great value. But none of that is worth what we put into it. We know that our hearts are idle factories. We tell ourselves, yes, I know this doesn't have any value, but at the same time, we slide into this sense of, this will make me feel better about myself. Maybe if I change my hair, then other women will go, oh, look, nice hair. You know, or Look at the earrings that she's got on her ears. She looks pretty good. You know, she's well cared for. But it doesn't matter. So anytime that we go into this deluded mode, we begin to think that these things are going to profit us. And we see that they don't profit us. And we see that it makes us nothing because we're turning away from our salvation. In verse 12, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it. With hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars and he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. So many things wrong with this section, but one of the things that should be the most obvious is it's backward. If you look at it, it ends with this tree needing to be planted. And then when you back up, then that tree needs to be nourished. And then when you back up, then somebody is going to eventually cut it down and shape it. It's all wrong. And so I call this section the section of confusion. We start delusions. We, we start to think this is going to profit me. But now what I do is I turn and I start to get confused. And I live in this world of confusion where everything is backwards. Where everything that I'm doing is unprofitable. That it's taking away value from me. It's taking away my worth and my worship. Of my heavenly father and I do everything backwards so the first thing is just the reverse order of the whole thing you know and it's beautiful how Isaiah uses this literary structure to just give us a hint of the confusion of idolatry the carpenter has to plant the tree he has to wait for it to grow first not last but he presents it in this confusion mode because that's the way they are we see the foolishness. In verse 14, the idol maker needs rain and sunshine to nourish the tree. As believers, we know that it's God who brings the rain, it's God who brings the sunshine, it's God who nourishes the tree. Why would you take something that was nourished by God and grown by God and turn it into an idol that you worship instead of worshiping the Creator? You bypassed the whole issue. You're you're you know, it, it becomes wrong. And I have to remind myself. You know, whether it's my house or my truck or whatever the case may be. You know, they're all made by man. You know, they're just a little bit more sophisticated than this idol that he's talking about. So once the tree has grown to sufficient size, he can now cut down the tree. So we sort of move back up. And then it says that the carpenter is going to take his tools to cut and shape the image. Notice that he has to do everything. So the idol hasn't done anything. Idol is the recipient of all the work. The idol is the recipient of the the strength, the skill that God has given us to apply to it. It can do nothing. It's just man's creation. So man takes all of his skills and applies it. So we see how confusion reigns. He takes something given by God to apply it to something lesser, and that's who he's going to worship. As we move back up, we see this ironsmith, this talented ironsmith. He uses his own tools and the heat and the hammer and the strength that he has to create this idol, to fashion it in the way that he needs. We also see, though, just like the tree, he needs water, he needs nourishment, or he grows faint. All of that doesn't come from the idol. All that comes from God, who is supplying and giving him that common grace to allow him to keep going and unfortunately, in this state, a confusion. So we start with delusion, and we, end, we then move into this confusion where we don't understand what's going on, where we're doing things backward, we're creating things that are not going to profit us. We forget that whatever we make must be less than us. Right? I'm less than God. God created me. So why would I worship something that I made? Why would I worship, you know, my truck or my car or my house or my clothes or whatever the case may be? Why would I do that and not go to the source, the only rock who can save me, the only person who can provide for me? And so as I was looking at this section, it was a little bit confusing because I don't know a lot about creating physical idols like that, right? So in Isaiah 40, 40 18 through 20, I found this interesting little section. It tells us a little bit more about idol makers. In verse 18 of Isaiah 40, it says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him, an idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts it for its it, it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot, He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. I've learned something. When I go back up into verse 14 of chapter 44, I didn't really understand why they talked about cedars, a cypress, or an oak tree. Why did they make idols out of one of those trees? Because it wouldn't rot. The idol can't even keep itself from rotting because it's just dead wood. So, so one, they had to choose the right wood, otherwise they began to see their idols rot, which has to be somewhat discouraging. When you're bowing and praying to something that's slowly falling apart and can't even keep itself together, how is it going to keep you together? Something else, though, is the realization that the craftsmen, both the carpenter and the goldsmith, they work together. I create the idol out of wood. If I can afford it, then I overlay it with gold or some other metal like silver. Still, I need the, the metal worker because I need chains. Why do I need chains? Well, if I want to pick that thing up and take it with me, I've got to carry it somehow. And if I don't want it to fall off my little shelf, i got to have some chains and i got to nail it to the wall. So once again... It didn't do anything for you. It can't do anything for you. You now have to make sure that it's secure and you have to drag it around everywhere you go. Why would you worship an idol? And we see the confusion in the state of what's going on. And then we move on to verse 15. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. I love sarcasm. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. What incredible... Delusion and confusion. It doesn't make any sense to us, does it? And unfortunately, we see this all too much in our world. So, what we see in verse 15 is we see that this wood has created, with the fire, has made a a source of fuel, is given the man warmth, it's given him a fire so that he can then bake bread. And then, what's left over, he makes into an idol and worships it. Then he has the fuel, he has the warmth, he has a fire. Now he cooks meat and he's satisfied. But what's left over? He makes an idol out of it and he worships it. Hard to understand, but when you're in a state of confusion, it sort of makes sense in some sort of backward way. It seems foolish to us, but there you go. So if we're honest, we can sometimes have that same response. You know, if I were to fashion an idol, I would trust that it could provide some level of security. It could help me feel better about myself. If I'm not feeling well, you know, a card in a will help me feel so much better. Problem is, it helps me feel better temporarily, you know, while I'm eating it. And then afterwards, I'm really sorry. But there's that state of confusion, isn't there? You know, if... If I don't feel well about myself, if, if, if something I feel like is amiss with me, then I want to make sure I get in a nice vehicle and drive around, or I want people to come and see my beautiful house. And, and I want to show that my hope, my reliance is on that. You know, it's interesting about Joseph. Joseph lost all that that he had, but he didn't lose his reliance on God because the stuff that he had was just the stuff that he had. It was the stuff that God gave him. But he continued on. We, we, we got to know that he was dispirited, but he didn't fall. He kept going. And, and I, I tell so many people this, you know, frequently now, that don't worry. Don't be frustrated. You'll see one day why you're going through what it is you're going through. And then you'll go, ah. I now see it. But you will have spent all these months and years worried and frustrated and complaining to God all the time, God sitting there and saying to himself, if you only knew what I was doing. You know, we see that in Ruth. We see that just throughout the word of God. It's like trust. Continue on. Avoid the delusion. Avoid the confusion that comes from idolatry. The only way that you can live in the truth is by worshiping the God of truth. Otherwise, you go into delusion and confusion. And I said that there is this problem from the delusion the confusion that you end up in destruction. So if we look in verses 18 through 20, they know not, nor do they discern, for He has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers Nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, or I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of woods? Like, hello, hello. Verse 20 is key. He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? What a sad verse. He's gone through. He's done all this labor. He's taken half of the wood and he's created a fire and he's baked bread and he's roasted meat and he's been satisfied. And then he turns and says, well, whatever's left over now, I'm going to turn into an idol and I'm going to worship it. You know, it said earlier that he was satisfied. But the problem is, is that because of his delusion that led to this confusion, he now is eating ashes. He thinks he's eating bread. He thinks he's eating roast meat. But all he has is ashes. His worship of a false god leads him into destruction. All he has is this block of wood. And one of the things that I think that we have to be honest about is that if we worship idols we become more and more like those idols. But if you worship Jesus Christ, you become more like Jesus Christ. So why? Why would we do that? Why would we eat ashes? Because we're deluded. We're deluded into thinking that we're eating our roast meat and our bread and all along it's an abomination. But we can't see that. He falls down to the idol praying that we'll deliver him. But he cannot see the lie of that he swallowed. He swallowed the lie. And that lie is beginning to destroy him. But God, just, just in our reading recently in Deuteronomy, we see that he is our creator. We see that he is our rock, our redeemer. We see a coming king. We see that he's jealous over us. We see that he demands worship because he's worthy of it. It's not just that he's worthy of it, but from a selfish standpoint, we need to know that it's good for us. Because it sets us on the path of truthfulness instead of being deluded. If we look back up just above this in verse 6 through 8, I love these three verses. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. All the idols they are but nothing. They make us nothing. They begin to destroy us. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and see it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a god besides me? There is no rock. I know. Not any. So idolatry draws us into delusion. Delusion where we spend all of our effort on something that won't profit us. Something that will actually bring us to shame and turn us into nothing. Idolatry, we saw, draws us into confusion. Confusion where we forget who made us. We forget the order of things. We forget who keeps us. And we grow to believe that we as creators can make these gods when they're no god at all. You know, whether it's wood, whether it's metal, it will rot, it will rust, it will one day be destroyed. Idolatry then draws the discontent into destruction. For they think that they've gotten something that they wanted, but all they've gotten is ashes. They've begun to swallow a lie. You know, and as I was preparing this, I was thinking about the world, and aren't we oftentimes rather confused how the world sees things? I see people who are fighting for abortion rights. They say they seem to think that what they're doing is they're they're trying to help the woman, but they're destroying the woman and they're murdering her unborn child. You see people in power in Washington and Austin and even Houston downtown. And you see how they fight to hold on to their control because control is power over people, it's money, it's prestige. They will do anything for that. But we know as we stay in the Word, as we keep looking to God, we know that it's a lie, that that's a falsehood we know that ultimately they're eating ashes because everything that they put their heart and soul into is going to be burned up one day. It's going to no longer exist. We see over and over again within the world, and I think that Isaiah 44 helps us understand why are people confused? Why are people deluded? It also shows the importance of staying in the Word, and that's why... I love the fact that we're going through and reading the Bible in various plans and that we're talking about it and we're talking about what we see about God. Because one of the other problems that we have is is that it's somewhat easy to become an idolater as we sit in church. Because the question always is, is to, am I really worshiping the true God? Or am I worshiping my idea of who God is? And to my shame, I can't tell you the number of times that I've had in the last year, believers say things that are scripturally invalid and the number of times I've just let it slide. And I can't do that anymore. And I want them to tell me, it's like, I think you misstated. And we need to back up and make sure that's right because you know, particularly when for those of us who talk a lot around here, you know, there there's that possibility that we're leading people astray, because then they say, But the pastor, but Jim, but Paul said this, so it must be right. And we need to be challenged. Spurgeon said multiple times that he's concerned that the people, and he had thousands of people sitting in his sanctuary, that many of those people were just idol worshipers. They were coming because it made them feel good. They were coming because it was the cultural thing to do. They wanted to say that they go to Spurgeon's church, but his question was, do they really know the God of the Bible? Are they really worshiping the God of the Bible? Have they placed everything upon their hope in Jesus Christ, knowing that he will save them and only he Will save them. That's the other reason why it's important, and I appreciate the pastor choosing the Mortification of Sin book and the Contentment book because we need that. And I've had so many people talk to me about those books, and what we have found as we've gone through and read it, and some of us men have, of course, been reading the Contentment book along with our wives, is how desperately we need this, how we need these reminders, and how how our, our our hearts would really like to have a method. I'd like to have like a three-point or five-point plan, anything over five points I can't remember. But up to five points, if you can give me this plan and I can follow this and I can be a godly individual and be accepted by Jesus Christ, you know, that's what I want to go for, right? It's the legalistic mentality. But the word of God and these books, they require a lot of digging into. And what we have found is as we move through these chapters, and now in the Mortification of Sin book, we're now in chapter 10. Things are coming up from chapters 1, 2, and 3 that we really hadn't considered. And men are saying, things that I would have never thought were sin, I see in my life. I see bitterness, unforgiveness. I've been thinking I'm fine, but I'm just holding it in. And going through the, the Word of God, going through these classes, I think is critical for us. But most of all, reading the Word of God So whether you want to join our tour or whether you want to join somebody else's tour, or go on your own. Um, I just invite you to be consistently in the Word of God and to challenge yourself and to say, am I living a life of delusion? Have I become confused because I'm not looking at the true and righteous God? You know, am I moving toward life in Jesus Christ Or am I moving toward destruction? Because that is the most important question we can ask ourselves. Thank you.